There was a, a little boy that was talking to his grandfather, and his grandfather was telling him the story of Noah and the ark and about the animals and that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the little boy looks up and says, Grandpa, were you on the ark? And the grandfather says, no, I wasn't. And the little boy was really confused, and he said, well, then Grandpa, why weren't you drowned? That's not autobiographical, by the way. I do have a grandson named Noah, but that's just a story that I read. But let me say this. Um, we're continuing our series about Noah, and last week we saw um, that this is a really, really important story in the Bible for this reason. It teaches us how to please God. And that means that your most important goal, your most important task in life is to figure out what pleases God. And that's what this story shows us to do. Now, last week we saw that one of the ways that Noah pleased God was by obeying him wholeheartedly. God gave Noah some very specific instructions about building the ark. And what does Noah do? Well, take a look at this verse from Genesis 6. So Noah did, what's the next word? Everything. He didn't do part of what God said. He did everything. And what's the word after that? Exactly. He did everything exactly as God had commanded him. So for Noah, obedience was a really big deal because he obeyed God wholeheartedly. Now, look at this question on your outline. Why is obeying God such a big deal? And there's really two facets to that. Obedience is a big deal to God. We know that. And it should be a really big deal to us. And the question is why? What's so important about obeying God? I want to give you three really compelling reasons. And the first is this. Obeying God proves that we love God. Obeying God proves that we love God. Look at this verse. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now think about this. If you love God right now, where did that love come from? Did it come from you? It came from God. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. We love God in response to his love for us. Think about this. If you have a desire in your heart to obey God right now, where did that desire come from? It came from God. If you have the ability to obey God, you actually do the stuff he tells you to do. Where does that ability to obey come from? You should have it by now, right? Yes, it came from God. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at this verse that Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, wrote to some friends in the city of Philippi. He said this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always, and what's the next word? Obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, because you can't work for your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And notice this phrase, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, church, listen, this is really, really important. When God commands you to do something, does he expect you to do it in your own strength? What do you think? God says, you know, I want you to forgive that person that hurt you so badly. And you say, God, that's too hard. And God says, I know, but just try, try really, really hard to do it. Is that what God's telling us? No, God says, listen, when I give you a command, I will give you the desire and the ability to fulfill that command. Now, does that mean that we don't have any part? No, because Paul says, work out your salvation. Work on having this close connection with God because the better you know God, the more you trust him. The deeper your relationship grows, the greater your desire and the greater your ability to live a life that honors and pleases God. Let me ask you this. How many of you would like to change anything about yourself, about your heart, about your character? 
We all need to change, right? How does change actually happen? Well, here's the ball game right here. You see, if you have a really close connection with God because you've trusted Jesus and God's spirit lives in you, God has given you this desire and ability to please him. He's given you the desire and the ability to change. And here's, here's what's so important. Change happens when your desire to please God is greater than your desire to please yourself. Change happens when you love Jesus more than you love your sin. And that's why obedience is such a big deal. Now here's another reason that obedience is a big deal. Number two, obeying God protects us from the consequences of wrong choices. God's protecting us. Obeying him, doing what God says, protects us from the consequences of wrong choices. Now last week, as we began the story of Noah, we talked about the world of Noah's time described in Genesis 6. If you had to choose a word to describe that world, what are some words you would choose? Or even phrases. The world was corrupt. The world was evil. The world was, how about this one, a mess. Because it was. There was chaos and confusion. People were morally bankrupt. God looked and it says in the Bible that people were just evil all the time with the exception of was one man named Noah. Now, as we read that story in Genesis, it's clear that, that people are disobeying God, and because of their disobedience, they're going to face some very serious consequences. And here's why. Because just as there are certain physical laws that operate in this universe, laws of cause and effect, there are certain spiritual laws that operate exactly the same way. Let me give you an example. How many of you believe in gravity? <laughs> looks like some of you might not be sure about gravity. Well, let me ask you this. If I jump right now, what direction am I going to go? Yeah, does anybody believe I'm going to go up? No, because there is this law of gravity. Does it matter whether I believe in gravity? Not really. It's just this law that it exists in the universe. And in the same way, there are spiritual laws that exist in this universe that were created by God. And listen, they apply to everybody regardless of what you believe. Somebody said this one time. They said, we don't really break God's law as much as we break ourselves against God's law when we disregard what he says. Now, why does God give us his commands? To protect us, to protect us. I was thinking this week about some of the changes in our nation's laws when it comes to sex and sexuality. Laws legalizing what some refer to as gay marriage. Laws that blurred the distinction between male and female as people get to choose their gender identity and which public bathroom they're going to use. And I was thinking too about this book of Genesis that says that we, human beings, are made in the image of God. We're made male and female. And at a time in our nation's history where marriage is being redefined by our culture, God is the one who designed marriage. It was his idea from the very beginning that there would be this lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. And here's the deal, church. Whenever we take God's commands, and this includes sex and sexuality, when we take it outside of God's framework, we do so at our own peril. Think about the national health crisis right now involving STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. Does God have a cure for that? Yes, yeah, real easy. Monogamous marriage a husband and a wife that are faithful to each other. And you think about the Ten Commandments. Do you know what number seven is on God's top ten list? Thou shalt not commit adultery. God says don't have sex outside of marriage. Why? Because I want to protect you from a broken heart and a broken body. 
And that's true of all God's commands. They're given by a good, good father. We just sang that, didn't we? He is a good, good father, and he wants to protect his children from the consequences of wrong choices, which is a really good reason to obey. Let me give you a third reason. In fact, let me just show you this, this verse from Proverbs. It says this, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield, a protection to those who take refuge in him. Now, here's the third reason to obey. Obeying God is the pathway to freedom, pathway to freedom. It's a really beautiful verse from Psalm 119. This is King David. He says, I run in the path of your commands, God, for you have set my heart, what? Free. There are people who think, well, if I have to follow all the rules that God has, I'm not going to be free. I'm going to be a prisoner. God says, no. No, if you, as Jesus said, know the truth, the truth will do what? They'll set you free, free to become the person that God made you to be, free to love God, free to love the people that God places in your life, free to experience this joy of pleasing the God who loves you like nobody else. And that brings us to a really, really important question because maybe I've convinced you that obedience is a really big deal. I hope that's the case, but it raises this question. Okay, it's a big deal. How do I obey? Look at this question on your outline. How can we live a life of obedience to God? And I want to show you some really important ways to do that. Here's the first. We must accept the authority of God's word. We must accept the authority of God's word. Now, other than the Bible, what are some possible sources of authority that we might base our life on? These are sources of authority when it comes to choices that we make. Well, I'm going to give you a couple, and I've given you the first letter. Here's the first, tradition. Why'd you do it? Well, because that's the way we've always done it around here. It's the way we've always done it in my family. That's the way we've always done it in my church, it's just a tradition. Here's another possible source of authority, reason. Reason, why'd you do it? Well, because we thought about it and it just seemed like the, the logical thing to do. We decided not to get married and just live together because listen, it's better for us financially. It was the reasonable thing to do. Or how about this, emotion, emotion. Why'd you do it? Well, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Or how about this one, culture? Why'd you do it? Well, you know, everyone else is doing it, and there's no law against it, at least not anymore. Church, many of the problems we have in our lives and in our nation are because we have based our choices on unreliable sources of authority. What we need is an authority that we can trust, an authority that applies to people in all places, in all generations. And where is that authority found? Well, I want to make a case, a very compelling case, I hope, that we need to accept this book as God's authority for our lives. Look at this verse. It's a verse about the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is, and what's that next word? What is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It's a plumb line that shows us where we're off the track. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, I realize that it is really easy for me to stand up here this morning as a pastor and say, you need to accept the authority of God's word because it's good for you. But here's the question, why? And if you're a parent, maybe your kids have asked you this question, why do we have to accept the authority of this book? And it doesn't matter if they're five or 15 or 25. Do you have an answer for them? I mean, do you have an answer if somebody at work says, well, why do you do that? And you say, well, because the Bible says, so, so what? Why should anybody accept what God says in this book 
as true. In fact, look at the question. Why should you believe that the Bible is the word of God and accept its authority? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some compelling reasons. And these are reasons that I accept the scripture as the authority in my life. And, and that being said, let me say this as well. I have a lot of faults and a lot of flaws. And I fall down. And God helps me up. And every time God helps me up, my intention is to say, okay, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I accept your authority. Help me get back on the path that you've established for my life according to your word. And here's why I accept that authority. Here's, here's the first reason. It's unified theme. It's unified theme. Now, some of these reasons are going to be more academic. Some are going to be more um, oriented toward practical issues. But here's the first. It's unified theme. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years by 40-plus authors in three different languages. Now, when I was in graduate school studying to be a pastor, I had the opportunity to study two of those languages rather extensively, Greek and Hebrew. Now, you would think that a book written over that period of time by so many authors would just be kind of a mess. There'd be a lot of contradictions and cross-purposes. But I've studied this book, and I'll tell you what, there is one unified theme. It is the story of redemption. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's about a God who loves his people, and he's redeeming them and restoring them. Now, if that's the case, it would point to one author that oversaw this book. And if that author is God then shouldn't we be willing to accept this book as his authority for our lives? Here's another reason. It's historical accuracy. It's historical accuracy. Over the years, there have been all kinds of skeptics, and their mission was to do this, to prove that the Bible is wrong. And people have been trying to do that for years, and yet over and over again, history and archaeology have proven that the Bible is absolutely accurate. This Wednesday night, we're going through the, the study about Noah and the flood, I showed this documentary film. It was back um, in the mid-80s, and it talked about this expedition to the mountains of Ararat, and they found this really, really big boat, and they used all this sophisticated um, research equipment and determined the dimensions. Guess what? They match exactly what it says in Genesis chapter 6. And then there's another really famous story. It's the story of Jericho. How many of you know that story in the Bible? There's this giant city and the Israelites march around it seven times and the priests blow their trumpets and the people shout, what happens to the walls? Yeah, they all come tumbling down. They just collapse. And for years, historians and archaeologists said there is no such place as Jericho. It's a fairy tale. And then they're digging in this place where the desert stretches for hundreds of miles and they found a vase. You know what it said on the vase? Jericho. And then they found, they dig, they dig and they find these giant walls, these massive walls, and they discover that the walls have fallen outward instead of inward. Because if there's an invasion, you would expect them to fall in, but they didn't. They fell in the opposite direction, just like the Bible said. And I could give you example and example of that. This book, when it speaks about history, is entirely accurate. Now here's another reason to accept the authority of the Bible is fulfilled prophecies. It's fulfilled prophecies. The Bible has all these predictions about the future. Now, you would expect if God is not actually predicting the future that um, the odds of something happening would be just mere chance or maybe what you would find at um, askapsychic.com. But consider this. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, and, and these prophecies are made hundreds of years before Jesus is ever born, and they're very specific. For example, where was Jesus born? Does anybody know? Bethlehem, okay? That was predicted hundreds of years before. Um, there are prophecies about his family. There, there are very specific 
details about the kind of death that Jesus would die, a death by crucifixion. Did you know that crucifixion had not even been invented as a form of execution when those prophecies were made? Now, like I said, there's over 300 prophecies, and, and I'm a math person. I like math and science and numbers. Do you realize that the odds, and this is just doing the math, the statistical probability that eight of those prophecies would be fulfilled in one person is, catch this, 100,000 trillion. That's the one with 17 zeros. Now, that is statistically impossible unless there is a God who knows the future and controls the future. And the prophecies in the Bible are one reason that I accept the authority of Scripture. Now, here's another. I think this is a really good reason. It's incredible preservation. Now, you would think that before people had computers or even typewriters, um, when they copied the Bible by hand, because that's how it was transmitted, that there would be a lot of mistakes. I mean, have you ever copied something by hand and made a mistake? Hopefully, it's not on a prescription that a doctor's writing for you. But that happens a lot, right? So there was this really amazing discovery made in 1947 where they found something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many of you are familiar with that? And what happened is this. The, the best manuscripts that we had for the Old Testament were dated from about the 9th or 10th century, about 1,000 years after Jesus lived. Well, this discovery was a manuscript from 1,000 years before that. So you could look at this manuscript and this manuscript and see how many changes had been made during 1,000 years of hand copying. Now, for example, if you look at the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which is a chapter about Jesus, the Messiah, there's 166 words in that chapter. They compared the one from this time period, and then a 1,000 years later, they found only one word was different. It was a three-letter word, and it didn't change the meaning of the sentence at all. Now, who do you think is responsible for that kind of preservation? It's God himself. And so we should accept the authority of his word because he has preserved it for us. And here's another, and this is probably, for me, the most compelling, is Proven Power. I mean, this is a powerful book. I know people personally, people in this church family who've told me stories that they decided to follow Jesus just because they read the book. That's the power that God's Word has. In fact, listen to this one quote. This is from a pastor. He says this about the power of God's Word. God's Word generates life, creates faith, produces change, frightens the devil, causes miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our minds, brings things into being, and guarantees our future forever. And if that doesn't excite you this morning, check your pulse. Seriously, God's word is absolutely amazing. And listen, if you want to please God, you know where it starts? You accept the authority of his word. And here's the second way to please God. We assimilate the truth of God's word. That's what leads to a life of obedience. It's on your outline. We must assimilate the truth of God's word. Now, here's a question for you. I have a, a snack that I brought with me. I like to eat snacks on Sunday morning because I get really hungry. In fact, I'm kind of hungry right now. Just reading the label. Um, Sun-dried raisins, whole almonds, and cashews. No salt, no added oils. Now, what will happen if I eat this bag of snacks what will happen it'll disappear <laughs> yeah exactly but it will be assimilated by my body is that isn't that true i mean there's proteins and there's carbohydrates and they will actually be incorporated into my body right they will become part of who i am do you realize that when you have a spiritual diet that includes scripture that scripture becomes a part of who you are 
that scripture begins to change the way you think and the way you feel and the way you act. So the question is, how do you assimilate this truth? I mean, do you just kind of lay it on your head at night? You know, God, I hope this kind of just leaks into my brain <laughs> and changes me. What can you do to assimilate God's truth? I want to give you some really practical ways. Are you ready? Here's the first. Listen. You have to listen. That's what you're doing right now. You're listening to God's word. Look at this verse. Jesus talking. So pay attention to, and notice the phrase, how you hear. To how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. And what Jesus is saying is very straightforward. We need to listen to his teaching with an open heart and an open mind. We need to receive his truth. And here's the deal. How many of you have ever listened to a, um, a message on the radio in the car? Okay, I know you listen on Sunday morning. At least I hope you're listening right now. Has this ever happened to you? You're listening to somebody speak or, or teach the Bible and you think to yourself, man, this is really boring. I'm not getting a thing out of this. You know, if you ever have that reaction, here's what I would encourage you to do. Check your heart, especially for the attitude of pride, because God can speak through anyone who is faithfully teaching his word if we have a humble and receptive heart. Now, here's another way to assemble God's word, assimilate God's word. Read. Read it. Let me ask you this. How long has the New Testament church been around? Just approximately. How many years? Okay, about 2,000 years. And during that time, who has had access, for the most part, to the scriptures? It, it's not the people where you're sitting. In fact, for about 1,500 years, it was the professionals that had access to the scriptures. It was the priests in the Catholic Church. And then there was a huge event that shifted Christianity called the Protestant what? Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther actually translated the Bible into German so people could read it, and that was a revolutionary thing. And of course, the Bible's been translated into thousands of languages. And right now, billions of people have access to the Scripture, but here's the sad reality. There are many people who are very unfamiliar with what's in this incredible book. I remember hearing a story about a TV series. It was called The Bible. Anybody remember that? It was fairly recently made. And they were just telling the stories that are found in Scripture. And what happened is there were people on the set that had never heard those Bible stories and became Christians. They just had never heard about the stories in this incredible book. Now let me ask you this. Why is it important to read the Bible every day? Why is it important to read the Bible every day? Is it because you want to just check that you know, box off? God, look what I did. Aren't I good? I checked off the box. Here's the reason. So that God can speak to you every single day. Let me ask you this. Um, how often do you need encouragement? I, I tell you, I need encouragement every day. How, ma how many of you need wisdom every day? Yeah, um, what about forgiveness? Every hour of every day. We need to hear God speak to us. Now, this is a really interesting verse. This is from the, the book of Deuteronomy. And it's God commanding kings, the kings of Israel, to read the Bible every single day. Take a look at this. It says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy, write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him. Now think about this. The king's supposed to write down the scripture and, and keep it on him, take it with him. And notice this phrase, and he is to read it. Do you see that? 
all the days of his life. Why? So that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And I read that this week and I thought, man, what would happen? I mean, can you imagine what would happen if the leaders of our nation in Washington, D.C., now I'm just talking about those who claim to be Christians, what would happen if every day they read God's word? And every day they said, God, speak to me. God, give me wisdom. Do you think that would make an impact in this country? That's something we need to really pray for. Okay, quick review. To assimilate the truth of God's word, we need to, what's the first thing? Listen. What's the second thing? Say it loudly. Read it. And number three is study it. Study it. Let me just let the scripture speak for itself here. Study to present yourself to God. It doesn't say study to show how great your Bible knowledge is to other people. Study to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And let me give you this, this way to assimilate God's truth in the Bible. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Hey, how many of you know how to worry? How many of you are really good at it? I'm really good at worrying. Now, how does worry work? You think about the same thing over and over again, right? And as you think about it over and over again, you work yourself into this anxious state. What if, right? Now, meditation works the same way. You take this phrase and you say it to yourself over and over again, but when it comes from Scripture, it has a completely different effect. Let me give you an example. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That is truth that God is speaking into your life, into your heart. Be still and know that I am God. What would happen if you took that verse and you actually thought about it, meditated on it throughout the day? Let's say you go to work and your boss is really being a royal pain and really demanding and you're getting upset and frustrated and you just do a mental timeout and you say, wait a minute, God is speaking to me. Be still and know that I am God. I'm in charge. Your boss isn't in charge. You just be still and trust me. Or what about this? Let's say you're a mom and you're having one of those really, really tough days and you're driving your kids from here to there and the washing machine broke and you're trying to do the dishes and, and get dinner and you're just, you know, all this chaos around you and you just do this middle timeout and you listen to God say, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Friends, the words of this book can calm us down and cheer us up and give us courage and confidence for every challenge we face. And that's why, I just love this verse. It's written by King David. He says this, Oh, how I love your law. Now, that seems like a, a strange statement sometimes to people. Why would somebody love the law? Who loves rules? But you know what? The reason King David loves the law is because he loves the lawgiver. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now, what is the purpose of meditating on God's word. I was talking to my wife, Chris, about this on the way to church this morning because there's a verse in the book of Ephesians and it says that we're supposed to wash our minds with the word of God. Now, think about this. What happens if you have a pair of socks that doesn't get washed for a really long time? Maybe they're stuck in the laundry hamper. Or maybe you had this experience. How many of you, when you were in school, had a locker and there were people that left their gym clothes in there for, I don't know, weeks, months? What happens to them? They get really stinky and yucky. And what do they need? They need to be washed. Well, listen, when you go through your week, do you realize that there is stuff from this culture that is like debris in your mind? 
and it's embedded in there and you need to wash your mind with the word of God. Because what happens when you wash a pair of really dirty socks? Hopefully they get clean, right? And you see their original condition. When you wash your mind with the word of God, your mind is being returned to the condition for which God created it. And that's really important. Let me give you one final way to assimilate God's word so that it changes the way that we think and how we feel and how we act. Memorize it. Memorize it. Now, I want you to notice this. Meditating on God's word naturally leads to memorizing God's word because when you think about something over and over again, you start to remember it. And when you begin to remember these verses from God's book, it really does shape your heart. Look at this verse. I have hidden your word in my heart and what's the reason? That I might not sin against you. God, I, I want to know this truth so that I can live in a way that pleases you, a way that brings joy to your heart. Now, here's a practical suggestion. Over the years, I've written a lot of Bible verses on 3 by 5 cards. I have stacks of 3 by 5 cards. Some are in English. And I started about a year or so ago writing uh, verses in Spanish to memorize them in Spanish as well for when I travel internationally. And I want to encourage you to do this. Um, think about something that's important to you. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. Maybe you're fighting discouragement. Maybe you want to know verses about anger or finances, whatever it is. You can do this. A lot of Bibles in the back have something called a concordance, and you can look up words alphabetically, and it gives you Bible verses that are listed. Or you can do this. On the back of your outline, the devotional guide actually has a website. It's BibleGateway.com. And you can look up any topic, and it'll give you Bible verses. And I would encourage you to take that fee by five card and write that verse and begin meditating on it and even memorizing it. Because I will tell you this from personal experience, it'll change your life. Because it will change the way that you think, it will change the way that you feel. And it will change the things that you do. And that brings us to this last way to live a life of obedience. Number three, we must apply the principles of God's word. We have to apply the principles of God's word. Look at this last verse. It's from the book of James. But don't just listen to God's word. What are you doing right now? You're listening to God's word, right? Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only what? Fooling yourselves. You're just fooling yourselves. I was reflecting on this verse this week and asking this question. Okay, so I, I read the Bible. What's the, the primary thing God wants me to do? in response to this story of redemption. And I thought, wow, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Follow Jesus. God wants us to follow his son. There's a, a young man who's a pastor. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had the privilege of coaching him. And I was talking to him this week, and we were talking about preaching. His name is James. And I said, James, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do this on Sunday mornings, to make a commitment to share the bad news and the good news with your church every week. And I was talking to him about why do that? Because I've talked to other pastors and they said, well, you know, if you do that, people are just going to get bored and they're just going to tune out. They hear the same thing every week. And I said, listen, here's the deal. The gospel is the center out of which we live. And not only that, you know, my purpose on Sunday morning is to encourage you. I talked about that this morning, right? To encourage you, to challenge you, and to equip you. And the truth is, when you hear the gospel again and again, you are being equipped to share it with other people. Because I get phone calls like this. Hey, hey Pastor Dudley, um, 
can you go talk to Cousin Louie? Because, boy, he really needs to hear about Jesus. And my response is, well, do you think you could tell him about Jesus? Because you know him and I don't. He might even listen to you because you have a relationship with him. This is a very important reason for us to understand the gospel. And if I were to ask you this, church, you know, we talk about the bad news and the good news. The bad news has to do with two huge problems that we can't solve. The first is what? Great. And what is the consequence of sin? Death. So there's two giant things that, that we can't solve, but God can. And what is God's solution to sin? Starts with an F, forgiveness. And what's God's solution to death? It's the opposite of death. It's life. And that's what the story in the book is all about. It talks about this fact that we come into the world with a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose and God's plan. We saw that last week. We read God's response when he looked at the earth and he said, you know, these human beings, this is a paraphrase, these human beings just don't listen. Even from childhood, they have a heart that pulls them away from me and from my purpose and from my plan for their lives, and we know that. And so when you read the book, Adam and Eve, they disobey God, and that's the story that's set in motion, and it's our story too. And because we disobey, there's a consequence. And what is the consequence? It's to die and to be separated from God forever because God is a holy and a just God. He can't just look the other way. But what is the good news, church? That God really, really loves us. He's a good, good father. And so he sends Jesus Christ to earth. And Jesus, because of his great love, lays down his life on a cross after living a perfect life. And I'll tell you what, I, I preach the gospel to myself because I need to hear it again and again. And I never, ever can get over the fact that Jesus Christ loves me so much that he would die in my place. I mean, honestly. The fact that God would, would take my sin and put my sin on Jesus and punish him and that he would die the death that I deserved and, and the wrath of God against my sin gets poured out on Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. And then Jesus comes back to life and he, he offers us a new life and he says, look, you need to admit that you're a sinner and believe that I died for you and then you need to follow me. But here's the deal. I'm calling the shots now. You are under new management. And listen, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you're signing up to trust him and to obey him for a lifetime. For a lifetime. Hey, would you take a look at the title of today's message? Could somebody read that really loud? What's the title of today's message? Anybody, just read it really loud. A long obedience in the same direction. That's actually the title of a book by a pastor. His name is Eugene Peterson. And he's the guy who also gave us the message translation of the Bible. And I just have um, a lot of respect for him as a pastor. I've learned a lot from his books and his translation of the scripture. And over the last five or six years, especially, God has put me um, in connection with a number of pastors, both here in the States and around the world, had the privilege of coaching pastors and being involved internationally in Honduras and Colombia and other places. And I love pastors. Um, there's a brotherhood that pastors have. It's sort of like the brotherhood of firefighters when I was doing that as a vocation. And, um, you know, pastors deal with a different kind of rescue work. But there is this brotherhood. And, and I've learned so much from other pastors. I've had the opportunity to teach them and to pray with them and to cry with them. And whenever I'm with pastors, I, I tell them this, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a group, that I'm praying for you, and here's what I pray, that you would have a long obedience in the same direction, which is another way of saying, I pray that you finish well. And church, that's what I pray for each one of us. If you're a Christian this morning, let me say this. You, you can be really committed to Jesus. 
and yet you can fall into serious disobedience that has serious consequences. Case in point, two pastors right here in our community, Bob Coy, um, pastor at Calvary Chapel, um, Tully and Tavigian, the pastor at Coral Ridge. These guys had done great things for the kingdom of God. God had used them in amazing ways, but their lives went off the rails when they had extramarital affairs. And when something like that happens, when I hear about that, it breaks my heart, but I know it breaks the heart of God. Because listen, when you're a pastor, what you do doesn't just affect you. It affects your wife and your kids and every single person in your church. It affects people in your community. It even has reverberations in other parts of the world. And that's why I tell pastors, listen, the best thing that you can do for your church, for your family, for yourself is simply this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And church, I want you to know this, that, that I love you. And as your pastor, I have a serious responsibility to guard my heart. Because I cannot faithfully teach the word of God unless my relationship with Jesus is authentic. Unless it's real and it's growing and it's strong. And I remember when I was in, in graduate school, I had this professor and he was talking to a group of guys that were being trained to be pastors. And he said, guys, let me tell you something. The only thing you have to offer the people that God's called you to serve is what's going on between you and God. And that is so true. And that's true for all of us. And so church, if I had one more message to preach, if this was the last time that I ever spoke to you, because you never know. Every, every day of life is a gift from God. You know what I would tell you? Guard your heart. Guard your heart from discouragement. Christian, guard your heart from disobedience. Guard your heart from the lies of this culture. Guard your heart from the lies you tell yourself. Guard your heart from the lies of the enemy. And here's how you do it. Take a look at your outline. I've just told you. Triple A, ready? Accept the authority of God's word. Assimilate the truth of God's word. Apply the principles of God's word. That's how you guard your heart. Now, I wanted to give you a specific challenge this morning, and it's there on your outline. Do you see it? My challenge is to do what? Read through the Bible in a year. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't have to be a year. It could be two years, five years, because the goal is not just to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through you, to have it change your heart. And there's all kinds of reading plans out there, but I was thinking about it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I suspect that if I ask you to raise your hand if you've ever read all the stories in the Bible, that not every hand would go up. Just a reasonable assumption. Now, can you imagine getting home to heaven and somebody comes up to you, let's say it's uh, Habakkuk, and he says, hey, did you read my book? And you go, oh, man, I really meant to, but I don't know, I just never got around to it. Listen, uh, that could happen, and when it does, I don't want you to track me down and say, Pastor Dilly, why didn't you tell me about that book in the Bible? Hey, I'm telling you now, there's 66 of these books. Read them all, because God has a story, and you've heard me say this, you will never make sense of the story of your life until you understand how it fits into God's big story, and that's a reason for reading the book, but let me give you one other thing, and this is not on your outline. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible on Sunday morning. And make notes, underline stuff. You know, when I read a book, I underline things, and that book is more valuable to me. I have Bibles that I've been using for years, and they are literally falling apart. And I love what somebody said one time, a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. So bring your Bible. And let God 
Let God communicate with you. And finally, church, let me just say this. My prayer for every single one of us is that we would really listen to God. We'd listen with our heads and with our hearts that we would really grow in our love for God and that because of that, we would be serious about obeying God. And here's why. Because when we take God's words and put them into practice, we build a foundation for our lives, a foundation for our church that will never fail, a foundation that will stand up against any storm. Pray with me. Father, what a, what a great reminder of what Jesus said, that if we take his words and put them into practice, it'll be like building our lives on a, a solid foundation. And God, today, if somebody here, maybe for the first time, has understood the bad news and the good news, somebody has felt the tug of your spirit on their heart, I pray that today they would make the most courageous decision of their life that they would obey you and follow Jesus. And Lord, if somebody is, is experiencing that, that tug of your spirit, I pray that right now they would simply say this in their heart to you. God, I need you. I know that I've broken your, your commands and, and I'm sorry, God. I want to change. I want to be different. I believe today that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and that you brought him back to life. And I want to follow him. I really do. 
God, I know that you always hear that prayer. And Lord, for those of us who've made that decision, God, I pray with all my heart that we would have a long obedience in the same direction. That we would finish well. God, that, that we would guard our hearts. And God, I know this too, that, that the only way that we can ever really obey you is if we love you and know you and trust you. If we really know what we believe, God. And so as we bring this service to a close, as we sing this last song, I pray that it will be this this bold declaration of what we believe together. Because God, I know this, that if you have a, a church where the truth is being preached, where the gospel is being communicated without compromise and without fear, that you're gonna do great and mighty things. And I pray that that would be the history, that that would be the trajectory in the future of Boynton Beach Community Church. God, be pleased as we tell you now what we believe.